What's up, everyone? This is Anthony Pompliano. Most of you know me as Pomp. You're listening to the Pomp Podcast, simply the best podcast out there. Now let's kick this thing off. Alex Leishman is the founder and CEO of River, a Bitcoin-only company that allows you to buy Bitcoin and also to mine Bitcoin. In this conversation, we talk about Bitcoin, building River, what's going on in the regulatory world, and his thoughts around Bitcoin maximalism. I really enjoyed this conversation with Alex, and I hope that you enjoy it as well. Before we get this episode, though, I first want to talk about our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by BlockFi. BlockFi provides financial products for crypto investors. Those products include the BlockFi wallet, a U.S. dollar loan collateralized by your crypto, and a no-fee trading product. BlockFi also released the world's first crypto rewards credit card. It's a Visa credit card that gives you crypto back as your rewards instead of cash back or airline miles. They recently introduced Rewards Flex, so customers choose which crypto assets they receive from their credit card rewards from the BlockFi Rewards credit card. For people in the U.S. who own or are interested in owning crypto or stacking more sats, the BlockFi Rewards credit card provides the easiest way to earn more crypto because you earn 1.5% back in crypto on every single purchase and you have no annual fee. I'm an investor in the business and a very, very happy user. The BlockFi Rewards credit card is the easiest way to earn crypto. For a limited time, when you sign up using my link, blockfi.com slash pompcc, you will get $75 back in crypto on your first swipe. Use your everyday spending to diversify your crypto portfolio. I've got the credit card. I love it. And I think you will too. Head on over to blockfi.com slash pompcc today. Next up is Choice. It's time to stop paying capital gains taxes on your Bitcoin, and Choice is here to help. Choice is rebuilding the way Bitcoiners approach retirement by making it possible to invest in Bitcoin and 19 other digital assets inside your IRA. Right now, every time you make a trade, you have to pay capital gains taxes that can be as high as 37%. Choice enables you to trade real Bitcoin, other cryptos, and stocks without having to pay a dime in capital gains. The best part? They just released an iOS app, so you can open an account in less than 10 minutes and take control of your future from the palm of your hand. Join me and the 20,000 other Bitcoiners who have started their tax-efficient stack and open your Choice account today. Search Stack Sats in the App Store or visit choiceapp.io slash pomp. Again, search Stack Sats in the App Store or visit choiceapp.io slash pomp. And one more thing, if you want to hold your private keys, Choice lets you do that too. Start stacking tax-efficient Satoshis today and visit choiceapp.io slash pomp. This episode is brought to you by CryptoToday.com. Exchanges got decentralized, money got decentralized, and the only bottleneck is the very sites listing them all. CryptoToday.com is like decentralized coin market cap. It's the first of its kind. There's no bribes, no connections, or heavy fees are needed to get listed like on the centralized sites. You can simply request on the blockchain and disperse the prize on-chain to the community and get fact-checked by thousands of eager crypto users. CryptoToday.com treats very differently. There's no pre-sale, no VC money, and all of the team is locked up for at least one year. All the centralized competitors have valuations in the billions of dollars. CryptoToday.com started out at $0 as the first decentralized token information site. You can read the white paper at CryptoToday.com. Again, go to CryptoToday.com to learn more. All right, let's get in this episode. I hope you guys enjoyed this one. Anthony Pompliano runs Pomp Investments. All views of him and the guests on his podcast are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Pomp Investments. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Pomp or his guests as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy. 
but only as an expression of his personal opinion. This podcast is for informational purposes only. We have our friend Alex from River here. How are you, sir? Hey, guys. How's it going? Doing fantastic. How are you? It's great to be in Miami. I, I was going to say, are, are Always we going to convince Miami. you to move here at some point? Uh, you know, I, every time I come, I stay longer and longer. So at some point, you just the, stay math, forever. the math will work out that I just sort of end up here the rest of my life. We'll see how, we'll, we'll see when that happens. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, you guys have been launching a ton of stuff at River. Um, you have the ability to buy and sell uh, Bitcoin, uh, but you do it in a very unique way, which I think is interesting in that you built pretty much, I, I, from my understanding, a fully vertically integrated, like custom Bitcoin only solution. Talk a little bit about like, as you guys were starting with the first product, like why did you do that versus just go work with some of these other uh, providers? Yeah. So we did things the hard way at River. Uh, we could have built on an existing custodian that had all the licenses and everything, you know, that allows to get up and running real quick. Instead, we chose to go state by state, get all the licenses ourselves and build our own custody system. The reason for that is uh, it gives us the longer term flexibility to do build all the products that we want without having to rely on some third party to uh, approve us or um, or build something out uh uh, that, that we wanted to see. Uh, it gave us full control over everything. You know, we took the low time preference Bitcoin approach to this and uh, we've been really happy um, with that because now, uh, now that we have that solid foundation, uh, we've been able to launch new, uh, really novel, innovative products like our new mining product, uh, which allows people to uh, buy Bitcoin miners directly in the river accounts and have that Bitcoin show up directly uh, in their custody. We've abstracted away basically as much complexity as possible um, when it comes to mining. And because we own the full stack of, of custody, of licensing, and we can hold our clients' funds and transmit funds and, you know, uh, and all that stuff, uh, we can provide this seamless experience. When you think about the mining product, why mining? Is it just your whole vision is like, how do we help people acquire Bitcoin? And so buying is one component, mining is another. Is that like a fair way to think about it? So what we've seen in the last year has been a massive growth in the Bitcoin mining industry, especially in the United States after China banned Bitcoin. Uh, and, and with that, we saw, um, we saw large institutional miners really scaling up in the United States, generating really, really large returns on, the, on their investment. And uh, what we realized was retail didn't really have a great way to access these returns. And uh, so um, we stepped in and decided we wanted to bas basically give Americans the ability to easily access these returns as well um, by, by buying this equipment, uh, by passing through the economies of scale that we can provide by procuring this equipment in bulk, uh, having large hosting agreements with our co-location providers where we host our clients' machines uh, and give, giving them access to cheap electricity and, and uh, give, our, give, give individuals in the United States access to these Bitcoin cash flows. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, Bitcoin mining isn't, it's not a guaranteed, you know, uh, infinite home run. It's a different risk return profile than just buying and holding Bitcoin directly. Historically, especially over the past year, it's been a very lucrative investment. And, um, you know, we'll see what the future brings. But uh, it's, you know, there's been a lot of demand so far and, and people find it very interesting. So when you think of mining, uh, this is, uh, I'm using River as my partner uh, or my kind of infrastructure to actually mine. It's equipment you guys bought. You have somebody who's obviously providing the co-location, but uh, this isn't like you're just simply hooking up to somebody else's mining equipment and kind of playing middleman. Like you guys are actually the ones who uh, have, have procured that equipment, et cetera. Correct. And when, you're, when you mine with River, you own your machine. Mm -hmm. So you own your hardware at the end of the day. Uh, you, you own a you know, a, an, an asset, a physical asset that actually lasts 
typically a lot longer than people would expect. Um, uh, and, and then that, that asset, that, that machine generates Bitcoin cash flows uh, mm-hmm. for, for, it, for its lifetime. Uh, what, what we're actually seeing in the markets is the, the S9s, the older Bitmain models, uh, are worth more in dollar terms today than they were brand new five years ago. Um, so the actual miner itself has, has stored value pretty well and, and throughout its lifetime it has been generating a Bitcoin cash flow for the owner. Mm-hmm. What does your average customer look like right now? So the, the typical customer, uh, well, I think the, the easier way to sort of describe our, our client base is, is we have two segments. Um, we have the, uh, the, the, the mass market uh, client who is a, uh, they're typically a you know, young professional. They you know, have a good income. They're saving. They're saving in Bitcoin. And uh, they typically are also able to you know, afford you know, a new miner, which is right now the market price is around nine or $10,000. Um, but you can buy as little as $10 of Bitcoin river if you really wanted to. And so that's sort of the, the, the average, the average client. Then we have our, our white glove private client tier that serves, uh, sort of high, high value VIP, ultra high net worth clients. Um, everyone from, you know, finance people to athletes to, you know, politicians. Um, and so that's a tier of our service sort of reserved for, um, you know, people with deep pockets. Gotcha. And when you think about the way people are coming in, they're coming in to buy Bitcoin and then discover mining, or did you see an influx of people who wanted the mining and then they're finding the other products? It's both ways. Uh, we really get both. Um, yeah. Some it, Mining has actually attracted a lot of people who historically haven't really been into Bitcoin because they see it as an, an unproductive asset, an asset that just sits there and doesn't do anything, um, in quotes. Uh, and and Mining, they're actually much more able to reason about it from an investment perspective. Uh, an example of this is guys who are used to investing in real estate, things that generate cash flows. You know, they can do the math. Uh, you know, I put this much up right now. Here are the cash flows I'll generate over the coming months and years. Um, that's a paradigm that they're much more comfortable with allocating capital to. And so mining really appeals to people um, looking at that. We find mining clients actually sort of fall in two different buckets. One is uh, they're actually you know, they're thinking about Bitcoin denominated returns, um, the Bitcoin native type of people. And then the, the, the guys thinking in what is going to be the return of my dollar investment. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, th- uh, those guys actually come into Bitcoin, uh, through mining typically. Yeah. Uh, I know you guys were at the Bitcoin conference. What was your, uh, your takeaways from the conference? I thought it was amazing. Uh, a 25,000 person, uh, Bitcoin 2022 was, uh, it, it's, it's showing the level of, interest and growth that the space has seen. I mean, I think we all have been to, you know, the years ago, these small conferences where Bitcoin was still very much a sort of nerdy sort of niche interest. And to see where we've come from that has been incredible. And we had a booth there and it was also just really humbling and great to see all the, all the customers, both, both existing and future customers come up to us and say how much they, they love our company. And, and just to see all of the great work being done in the space by all, all of the companies at the conference is really cool. Yeah. Uh, the, the framework I have in my head is, uh, I, I don't forget what year it was, but maybe 2018, 2019, something like that. Uh, when the Bitcoin conference in San Francisco, part of it was in the, uh, parking deck, yes. right? Yes. To the Miami beach convention center, <laughs> like, yes. like, you know, started at the bottom and now we're here. And I think it's a testament to one, the, the Bitcoin magazine, uh, BTC Inc., uh, you know, team and just like they've grown immensely and, and uh, uh, kind of up their game, but also the audience uh, continues to grow as well in terms of people who are interested in this stuff. Absolutely. And then the, and the, the, the diversity of types of people in the audience, everything from, 
the the techie engineer crowd to um to now there's a hugely growing art uh sort of contingent at the conference there's a big like art delegation there uh, of, of artists and creators um you know every sort of group of people under the sun was there it was pretty cool yeah um, I know that you've got uh, lots of thoughts on lots of different things. So I figure we'll just go kind of topic to topic and go through as many of them as we can. Let's do it. Um, we're hilariously all laughing at Putin price hikes, which just feels like they really think we're stupid. Is, is that your general take on this? Like, what is going on? Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I mean, it, it's so obvious. I mean, and, and the sad thing is, like, it's pro- like. This this spin on the narrative is probably working for them, but um, I mean it, it's really hilarious to think that you know you could print I don't know how much it was seven trillion dollars uh, out of thin air um, and then you know blame it on Putin who invaded Ukraine you know you know a few months ago um, uh, blame this like multi year you know inflationary trend and upswing on on, on that is just absolutely absurd. Yeah, uh, do you think it's working? Like, do you think the average American is like, yeah, it's Vladimir Putin in Russia? I don't, I don't know. So, our, yeah. you know, our bubble sort of in the Twitter sphere is obviously much more clued in on, yeah. the, on the root causes of this stuff. Um, I really don't have enough insight into sort of the, the um, you know, the recent conversations people outside of that bubble have been having about it. I would guess it's working a lot less than it used to. I yeah. think people have heard the word Russia uh, and Putin for like five years now as like the, the source of all of our ills as a society and are starting to probably get pretty tired of it. Yeah. Um, so that's a good point. Is that like, yeah, he got blamed for politics. He got blamed for inflation. He got, you know, just at some point people were like, this, this guy must be a genius. Yeah. He literally has just got our number every time. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 you know, that's not to say that, you know, the things he's up to are, are good or anything like that. Um, I, I don't think that's the case either, but, uh, you know, it's pretty silly that, you know, uh, the United States, the most powerful nation on earth, um, is, is, you know, our leaders are constantly blaming, um, blaming things they don't want to happen on, you know, Others. some guy halfway around the world, uh, who doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And what is your thoughts on inflation right now? Like we saw the 8.5% number. Uh, I'm assuming you don't think that that's the real number, but like, how do you kind of read this? Yeah. You know, I, I agree that 8.5% number, I don't think it's actually reflective of what most consumers have experienced Mm -hmm. over the last year. I think we've all seen the prices of whether that's, um, rent, whether it's food, uh, go up substantially more than that. Um, you know, I think there's also a lot of shrinkflation that people are not, you know, that, that people are noticing at the grocery store. They're just paying the same, but getting less for it. Um, and so I don't think that number is reflective, uh, at all in sort of people's out-of-pocket expenses, the increase in people's out-of-pocket expenses. But, um, you know, I, I don't, I don't know how this ends. Uh, I'm not some sort of economic genius. I don't like the economy is an extremely chaotic system and complex system. Um, do they, do they raise interest rates and sort of get this thing in check, uh, and it causes some 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 pain to the economy, but you know they have the they have the uh, discipline to do it. I don't know. Um, I don't know how this plays out. Yeah, um, I don't know either. But it definitely feels like uh, they don't have all the tools that they used to be able to use uh, to the severity. Um, and also, if they go to use some of those tools, uh, we're way later than they normally would have used them. 
And so if you're delaying the use of them and also they may not have the same, you know, potential impact, it's kind of a bad situation. Then you get into like the pick your poison, like inflation or recession, right? And I don't know if there's a right answer there. Yeah, no, it, it, we're, we're in a terrible position and, you know, it's not, and we're, we're not, we're not, I, I think, you know, people also to be intellectually honest, this isn't something that we just got in, ourselves into overnight either. Mm-hmm. You know, this has been building for decades of profligate government spending um, and sort of the political incentives that basically force the federal government to be extremely financially irresponsible. Um, and the, those root causes are not even close to being fixed. Yeah. So whether it's this this cycle or, or sort of, you know, over the next few decades, I think we're, you know, I think it's pretty obvious this isn't going to end well. Yeah. What What is uh, the intersection of Bitcoin and politics look right now? I know that uh, you and I have seen each other a number of different events where there's various candidates that are uh, interested in Bitcoin or whatever. Like, how, how do you read that right now? I think Bitcoin is, I, I think 2022 is the year that Bitcoin is establishing itself um, as a, major pillar, um, in our political system. Uh, I think it is a, it it is a major rallying point, um, for all sorts of people who have been frustrated by, uh, the, the inadequacy and the, the failures of both political parties. Um, I think on the right, what we're seeing is that this is the first, uh, thing that conservatives have where they can rally and say, here's a future we want to see, right? Historically, mm-hmm. the, the right is the, the party of no, it's the party of slow down, don't do that. Uh, Bitcoin is giving the, 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 the right the chance to be the party of speed up, run to this. This is new and interesting and civilization changing. I think that's a huge um, under um, appreciated paradigm that's happening right now. And then on the left, um, I think a lot of people on the left are, are increasingly frustrated by the focus of, of the Democratic Party on issues that, frankly, just don't if impact the lives of the vast majority of people in the United States. Like the, the identity politics stuff is getting to such a level of absurdity. Um, and, you know, I think most r- rational people are sort of asking themselves, like, have we lost the plot, you know, on the left? Like, what are we at? What is this actually doing to improve sort of the lives of ordinary people? Um, and they see and, and, and increasingly these more moderate, I would call them candidates, um, are also aligning themselves with Bitcoin because it represents uh, it represents decentralization. It represents a concept that they can get behind, where p- focusing more on your local community, taking power away from these this failed you know central government system that isn't improving a lot of the ordinary person, um, and putting the hands uh, putting the power back in the hands of of the people and and and, uh, and enfranchising them. When I think about a lot of this. It does feel like, and people should talk about it, but it does feel like now you have to be pro Bitcoin, um, or or I don't know if everyone will be pro only Bitcoin, right? I think what a politicians will basically do is like, hey, we don't want to pick a technology, so they're going to say pro crypto, whether we agree with it or not. Like they're going to end up being pro Bitcoin and crypto, probably is the, the way that they'll frame it. Um, but that's becoming a necessity. Like at this point, we're now getting to uh, a situation where, like, if you're anti, whether you're anti-Bitcoin or anti-Bitcoin and crypto or however you frame that conversation, you're probably going to battle uphill to get elected or to stay in a seat because the user base and the people who are interested in this stuff is just getting too large and too wealthy and too influential to ignore and and continue to kind of shit on. Is that 
how you see it? Yeah, I, I agree. Um, if you look at just cryptocurrency ownership across the United, in the United States, it, it spans political boundaries. Um, mm-hmm. It's neither a right wing thing or a left wing thing. It's sort of almost sort of shifting, um, you know, shifting the political debate a little bit. It, it's bringing people's attention to sort of, hey, you know, this this whole economic freedom thing uh, really ad- helps accomplish what what both part some of the sort of concepts both parties want to achieve. Um, and everyone is everyone. I would say, uh, I think it's a generational. I think I think this this split is actually generational. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's sort of the old guard versus the new guard um, in, in both parties. Uh, yeah, and the new guard is winning. Can, can Bitcoin bring together the parties? Like, it could, could Bitcoin be the issue that ends up actually uniting politicians on both sides of the aisle in America? I don't know. Uh, I don't want to be naive in thinking that you know we'll ever have some kumbaya moment. Um, I think that it's possible that it is an issue that people rally around. The the alternative would be it actually causes a sort of the dividing line just moves uh, between like there's there's a new um, there uh, the the line dividing left and right um, you know change changes its location and there's new issues people care about and maybe it's now like centralized people who want more centralized power versus people who want more decentralized power. Um, and, uh, and some people from each party sort of switch sides and switch alignment based on their, their leanings. Yeah. Joe, John, what questions you guys got? How much, uh, I'm assuming you guys look at kind of the broader market, obviously for trends within your business and and future growth and stuff like that. But how much do you think that's going to change over the next year? Like, what are you guys projecting? Obviously, some people think on a macro level, we may see a recession and things like that. But on kind of a smaller level, we're, we're obviously expanding the user base and everything. Just talk me through how you guys think about your business specifically and the growth that you might see. So, the, the what, you know, I've been, I've been working in this industry for the vast majority of my career at this point, really about nine years. And um, the, the one rule that sort of we always follow is always be ready for the worst. Um, but build, but always sort of like from a fiscal responsibility as a company perspective, be ready for the worst. Um, but always build as if there's going to be a massive bull market tomorrow, um, because that's when you capture sort of the the economic value. That's when you are really providing the value to your to your customers. Is when things are going well, you don't want to be the site that's down. You don't want to be the provider that can't you know help your clients when prices are rallying. Um, but at the same time. Uh, we also run the company so that we can keep building um, and stay heads down and focused during you know the worst of bear markets. So that's the mindset we run with. I don't know what the markets are going to do this year, um, but we're prepared either way. Is how we think about it. Stay ready, so you don't got to get ready. Exactly. Yeah. Well, exactly. My, my question actually has to do a little bit something with that. Is like, how do you prepare your business? <clears throat> excuse me. How do you prepare your business for that down year? Right. Like, how do you keep if you have the trading volume, like volatility is good for business, but if you have a bank model, then like you want more assets on your platform. Like, how do you just prepare River for a down year? Yeah, so I mean, there's there's no simple answer, right? Down years are never going to be the most fun years in the world, uh, but um, we focus on building a company of uh, having the highest leverage people possible, right? So um, we we invest in our people, we invest in our uh, automation to make sure that um, we never need to get too overextended um, from a human capital perspective. Um, and we can scale up and down pretty, pretty flexibly. And, and, and every person at our company, um, you know, it, 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 by, by making them very high leverage and very high impact um, and, and only hiring the top talent, um, we can do a lot more with less, gotcha. uh, which keeps us leaner and nimbler. Gotcha. 
when you think about the business today, like how big is it? Like whatever metrics you can share, like how, how do you think about how big the business is? Yeah, so we have, um, so we, so at our company we have around 40 people. Um, we've seen a seven, we in 2021 saw a 7x um, growth in our net revenues. Um, uh, from a size perspective, um, you know, we're still, we're, we're still not anywhere near sort of Coinbase scale, um, but uh, we are certainly on a trajectory where if we keep executing on our vision, um, we will get there over the coming, you know, five years. Yeah. And I guess part of it ends up being as you're building this, you're pulling talent from the Bitcoin world, you're pulling talent from like the tech world, and you're pulling talent from the finance world as well. Like like you you really do need kind of different skill sets to be able to build a business like this because it touches on all three of those. Yeah, a- absolutely. I mean, we're just in the very early days of, of Bitcoin itself. And one of the things that we are really leaning heavily into is how do we give our customers access to the next generation of of Financial products built around Bitcoin, and what those looks like are are, are products that build that generate Bitcoin cash flows. Right, mm-hmm. um, this is like sort of a just people are just starting to explore this stuff. So we need engineering talent, we need finance talent, um, and uh, we need the consumer product talent. Yeah, have you talked about any of the other ideas that you guys are working on or thinking about yet? Um, well, uh, one thing I can say is that we are investing very heavily in the Lightning Network. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, our Lightning node is one of the biggest Lightning nodes in the network. We think that there's huge potential long term to build financial products, um, you know, on or around the Lightning Network. There's a lot of things happening. Uh, one just being the secular growth of the Lightning Network. The second being this Tarot uh, announcement that Lightning Labs put out last week, which is basically uh, the you know the the vision of bringing of bringing assets uh, to to both the Bitcoin blockchain and the, and the lightning network, which will enable decentralized exchange on lightning. Um, these are all things we're, you know, exploring, looking at, we think are very fascinating trends. They're not going to happen overnight. They're going to take companies like ours building out the infrastructure to make it happen. Um, so we're very interested in stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, last thing I want to ask you about is, uh, open-mindedness in, uh, in the Bitcoin world. Yeah. Uh, uh, we don't have to go into all the details, but there's been a bunch of, uh, folks who, uh, uh, Maybe they're not so open-minded, and maybe yeah. they uh, uh, counterbalance that with uh, also uh, this level of toxicity, which I, I've re- rebranded. We officially rebranded toxic to just asshole, right? And um, what, what's your take on kind of the importance of open-mindedness? Yeah, so um, you know, I think a lot of people assume just because we we focus on Bitcoin, um, we you know we 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 were fundamentally anti everything else in the crypto cryptocurrency space. And that's just not the case. And I think there's um, by no means all, and, and, pro- and by no means the majority, um, there's a small amount of people in the Bitcoin world who refuse to um, even sort of like understand or, or, or sort of explore sort of why we're seeing massive growth um, in the DeFi ecosystem and in the, you know, in just these other altcoins or layer ones. And I think that comes from the historical um, you know, historically, you know, all, there was a lot of scam stuff happening in the crypto space. Mm-hmm. Lots of new tokens, rug pools, things that really just were terrible for consumers. And that's all real. That all happened. And there's still a lot of really scammy things. But there are some really interesting trends um, that are like with with stable coins, with allowing people to um, engage in financial services um, in in a decentralized ecosystem like collateralized lending, like uncollateralized lending, like mm-hmm. um, a- having access to the dollar if you don't have an American bank account, um, 
all of these things are, are blowing up because there's demand all over the world for this stuff. And I think it's very short-sighted to pretend that none of this stuff is interesting or important and the, and the only thing that could possibly ever matter is Bitcoin. And I just don't think that's the case. I don't think those people actually believe it. I think what they're doing is they're replacing uh, intelligence with religion. I agree. It, it, it's a dogma. And, yeah. it's a, it, and what I've noticed is actually it's, um, it's, a, uh, it, it's a dogma used to so almost fleece their customer base and, and uh, try to um, make just make money off of them. It's really yeah. just taking the scam ICO playbook and applying it to Bitcoin maximalism. Yes. And I think uh, on top of that, you can see it. Uh, there's always two red flags to me. One is people who uh, yell and scream and pound their chest about they're ethical, they're honest, and they're transparent. Like the more that you say it, usually the less you are, yep. right? I, I always joke that like I've never met somebody in business that I greatly respect and like I'm an honest person. Yeah. <laughs> it's you always the person that's lying. Yeah, yeah. It's always the person that's lying to me, tells me how honest they are. Yep. Uh, and then the other piece of it is um, uh, if you have very off-market product offerings, meaning that if an entire industry is coalescing around something, uh, fees is always like the one that I go to, right? If everyone else charges for to make it easy, you know, uh, 0.1% and you charge 10%, like why? Right. And, and, uh, people always have reasons for it. Right. And, and, uh, every once in a while there's a good reason, but usually what you find is, uh, the religion is wrapped around, as you're saying, kind of this uh, extraction of value from the audience, right? And uh, I think it is actually one of the most important things we need to pay attention to. Like we need to be very careful, right? And so um, uh, I continue to tell people that like being a Bitcoiner is going to be one of the things that's like on the right side of history, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. But being a open-minded Bitcoiner is going to ensure that you constantly are staying on top of like whatever the next thing is. Cause like the, the best example I have right now is tarot, whether it works or not. I know some Bitcoiners think it's absolute shit and they're like, there's no way this is going to work. It's all, you know, nonsense. I know some Bitcoiners are like, Oh my God, it's gonna be amazing. Let's just uh, make the assumption that it works and you can now create stable coins. You can do tokenization. You can do all this stuff on top of lightning. There's an entire group of folks who have said anything other than Bitcoin is a scam and anything else, nothing else needs to be tokenized. Yes. If in that world we get stable coins, tokenization, all this stuff on top of the Bitcoin network, like I feel like people's minds are going to be in a pretzel, right? <laughs> like, yeah. like, oh, like where, where do I stand, right? And, and, and I think a lot of this, I think there's some of this comes from this sort of like sort of marketing dogma. Some of it also comes from a, a sort of a technical um, hang up. And they're just saying, well, if, you, if you're trying to put a, a real world asset like a dollar onto a blockchain, then you're trusting somebody. So you're removing the need to have it on a blockchain to begin with. But I don't think they really realize is like one of the big values of DeFi is that it, it's it's basically a way to route around this extremely ossified system that we have. It's not a, it's not re, it's not a way to reduce trust. Um, it's a way to uh, route around an insanely Byzantine maze of rules and regulations and and, and, and infrastructure um, that is the United States banking and financial system. Um, it's, uh, it's, a it's a, it's a regulatory arbitrage and it's a standard protocol that might not necessarily be the most perfect technically, uh, solution. Um, but it's good enough. And, mm -hmm. it, and that, and that's not, a, that's not a, um, and that's, that's just an objective truth because you just ha look at the growth and that's what's happening. Yeah, I, um, I agree. Uh, where can we send people to find you on the internet or find out more about river? 
River.com. Very easy. Uh, and then my Twitter is at Leishman. Um, Did, uh, so. Is there a good story behind getting River.com? Yeah. So we used to, we used to have, we used to be, uh, we used to have a different name. I won't say what it is, but we got a, um, we got a angry cease and desist letter, uh, with our, with our original name. Hence why he won't say it. <laughs> yeah, that's why I won't say it. Um, but, uh, our, our domain, our, do, our domain name was dot financial. Um, so it was honestly a pretty crappy domain name anyways for what we wanted to build, which is a really great consumer brand. And so we <laughs> saw, we saw it as an opportunity to build like a dot com, uh, get, get a dot com and get a name we loved. And we, we worked with a domain broker and, and came across like river.com. We saw it was for sale. Like, there's zero chance like we could afford this, but like, let's just see. And the price actually, like it wasn't cheap at all by any means, but it was, it was, it was within budget, which shocked us Get, seeing mm-hmm. like voice.com sell for like $30 million or whatever around the same time. Yeah. And, um, so we, we snagged it up and, uh, have not regretted it for a second. Good thing Michael Saylor wasn't on the other side or you'd been paying 30 million too. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. No, luckily, luckily the seller was a, a bit, um, yeah. L- less bullish on river.com <laughs> yeah, than bullish. voice.com. Yeah, less bullish. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. All right. Well, listen, thank you so much for coming. We're definitely gonna have to keep doing this as, uh, once you yeah. move to Miami, then, uh, then we'll have you come in all the time. For sure. But, uh, I think that uh, we guess you're building pretty cool. And if anyone who's interested, uh, in being able to buy Bitcoin, mine Bitcoin, uh, or any of the future products they build, go to river.com and check it out there. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. I really hope you guys enjoyed this one. Make sure you're subscribed on Apple, Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. And if you're looking to try to transition to get a new job in the Bitcoin or crypto industry, we've got you covered. Head over to pompscryptocourse.com. We've developed a curriculum with the top teams across the industry. It's a three-week intensive training program with over 50 events packed into that three-week time period. Go to pompscryptocourse.com to learn more. And I'll meet you guys for the next episode.